0: Love Talk Radio.
1: hostess Cynthia. And here at Mama's Pearls, we are a family brand, if you're just joining us for the first time. And here at Mama's Pearls, I like to say that we are stringing the most beautiful pieces of life together. Life throws us all sorts of curveballs and presents itself in some pretty interesting fashion sometimes. And here at Mama's Pearls, we try and make sense of them. Our week on Mama's Pearls usually starts on Facebook early in the week. I'll post some questions about the theme that we're getting into. And this month just happens to be about the fathers to celebrate the upcoming Father's Day. And then we continue our conversation in the weekly Mama's Pearls blog, which I usually post on Tuesdays at www.mamaspearls.com. And then we follow it up here on this lovely talk show on Blog, blog Talk Radio to really dive in a little bit further about the meat of the, of the blog and the topic for the week and then my best friend Melissa who is my version of Gal King rounds out the week with her blog called M's Gems which is usually the more practical takeaways that we're learning here at Mama's Pearls. So, welcome. I'm happy to see to hear you all here in the Mama's Pearls community which is which is growing. If you are interested in joining in in our conversation today, you may call in at 347-327-9450. And like I said, this month we're focusing on the fathers. We had a wonderful month last month in May celebrating the women and the um, feminine energy basically in honor of Mother's Day. And now with Father's Day approaching, we're exploring all aspects of the, of the father, and so naturally I had to have my father on as the first guest of the the Father's Month on Mama's Pearls, and he was on the show last week, which was called Alpha Lion. And I knew I wanted to have my dad on, one, to dishonor my dad, but also to hear about his experiences with my mom on a recent African safari that they went on. And, um, you know, when they first told me that they were going to Africa, like, I could totally picture my dad going on a safari because he's an outdoorsman and he just, you know, loves nature and, and um, you know, that whole thing is so him, like kind of an Indiana Jones complex and a Crocodile Dundee complex. So for me that made sense, but, like, my mom in in the middle of the jungle with – Animals, and they were also going with my cousins, who, you know, the only time that they like animals is for dinner. So that to me was just like so funny to to picture. So when my dad got on on the call last week and on the show, and he was sharing his experiences, I was really taken aback. And, you know, this whole time I've been like scanning the stories that they were sharing in my mind kind of like like a movie especially the part where my dad said that um, they were passing by a family of rhinos and one of the rhinos who happened to be the mama rhinos like locked eyes with my mom and was about to charge her and my mom instinctually jumped into my dad's lap and you know and that whole natural instinct to go where we feel like we're going to be protected in the sight of danger is something that my sister and I has always felt with my dad. And one of his roles, and one of the roles that most fathers have, is the role of the protector of the family. And if you caught, um, if you caught M gems last week, Melissa really went into talking about the many different roles of the father and one was protector and the other was um, to be the provider, whether it be um, an ec- economic supply, provider or a love provider. And most men are still carrying the burden and the overall stress to be the provider, especially economic provider for the family. And what we learned from the call to the wild, is that going out in the workforce is often not much different than than the jungle, and um, and the experiences that my dad saw of watching the natural wildlife and the animal instincts is not much different than than the dynamics and the instincts that we have in our little human worlds um, with our families, um, and when you when you are the alpha alpha lion, my dad was basically saying the alpha lion basically. He didn't have a care in the world. he strutted his stuff he he ate when he was hungry. he did his hunt and um and the the dynamic was such where the alpha lion basically fended for himself, and the lionesses were the ones that actually took care of the cubs, which I thought was kind of interesting um and i would I would say is is also a common characteristic and dynamic in a lot of modern families where um where the the father goes out and and does his work, and the the mom, the lioness, takes care of the the families. Now, a lot of that has been equalizing over the years, and women have been going out into the workforce as well. But um, but there still there still is kind of that that animal instinct that the mothers are the one who instinctively um, will will provide for for the for the cubs. And um, one of the other things that we, that we were talking about that my dad really um, was taken with was a quote that I, that I found that was, is, the author is unknown, but it says, any man can be a father. It takes someone special to be a dad. And my dad has worked for, you know, countless years since I have been been born to take that extra step to engage with this family, to engage with my sister and I, and to be a constant supportive presence so that we would grow up right and you know that we would know him as having our back always and I've always felt that so I'm just really really honored to have um, shared that hour with you with my father and I hope you do go back and listen to that that show segment called Alpha Lion in the archives at blogtalkradio.com slash mama's pearls now um one of the things that I was thinking as a natural segue of the di- different roles of the important men in my lives and where they um, where they really are highlighted, and I, I can't think of my father and my relationship growing up with me being a tomboy. I mean, he wanted to have boys, and he wound up with two girls, and in a lot of way, he um, you know, a lot of the things he would have done with boys, he did with me, especially with regards to playing sports. And um, you know, and I used to play everything. I loved it, and it was it kept me active, and um, and a lot of things I I took to. And so when I think about him really coaching me. And my pathway through the sports field, I was really thinking about the um, how fathers and men in our lives are there as coaches and are there as guides especially around sports now I've had both male coaches and and female coaches, but there's something there is something that is particularly masculine um, about the the um, profession of coaching and then I heard the news that John Wooden had passed, and John Wooden was a really truly beloved coach, um, hailing from UCLA primarily. And of course, naturally, when I heard that news, and I just saw how many people were touched and UCLA, UCLA by his passing, my first call was to my dad to find out find out why. And the short story that he shared with me about him really inspired this week's um, this week's theme and topic, which is put me in coach and um, really getting into the dynamics of how the, the coaching and the skills that we learn on the field or, or on the court or in the rink and in any different sport that we play, really does carry over to what we, how we act and how we are in life. And I know that these skills have um, certainly affected how I, how I am and how I operate as a lawyer and how I think as a lawyer, as well as how I operate as a mother and with my friends. So I really wanted to dive in. And the pearl of the week this week is Glory Days of Weight. And when I was really thinking about the different coaches, I was having such flashbacks of my own personal experiences playing softball, um, primarily in high school, and as, and in particularly playing volleyball. I absolutely love volleyball. I would I would argue, you know, I would say it's probably my favorite sport. Although I enjoy a lot of sports and. Um, And I was remembering, like, my pathway through it. I wasn't always a great volleyball player. I had to try out. I had to really work. I had to practice. And when I was on JV volleyball, I remember playing the position of left out. Like, basically, I just, yeah, left out is a position. It can be in any any sport. And it's basically where you sit on the sidelines and watch the game. And it was so frustrating for me because you know that you need to get experience in order to – Build up your um, your own skill set, but my coach knew that I wasn't quite yet ready. If I would have went in, um, I might have basically take kept the held the team back from going where it needed to go, and and for lack of a better word, like not keep it competitive because you know I would have you know missed the ball or whatever. And although that's all part of the process of learning. You do learn so much from sitting on the sidelines and watching the dynamics and seeing how the, the team gels and listening to your coach and talking strategies. And in these different roles that you play or on the fields and in any sport, whether it's an individual sport or a team sport, you're constantly learning some, some life lessons in the many ways that you can both build yourself up as an individual as well as your team and a team player. So in thinking about this and in really thinking about this week's topic, I wanted to bring someone on that had a ton of experience both as a player and as a coach. And, um, and I met this person who happens to also be, be an attorney through somebody that I know. And um, his name is Joe Maniscalco. And um, ironically, he's a proud father of four girls, and I always laugh when really sporty guys have all-girls because it's just hilarious. Like, you know, I'm sure Joe and my dad, you know, I know my dad wanted his own little football team and he got two girls. Um, but somehow, you know, his girls have all taken to sports and are, um, are now into softball. And Joe himself has been a baseball fanatic all his life. He had a distinguished career and received a full baseball scholarship of Fordham University. He owned and ran a pitching clinic, and when his daughters came of age, he actually started to coach T-ball and then girls fast pitch. And basically since then, he's been in working in fast pitch, basically side by side with his girls. I think he coaches one out of the two. And, and he... Um, And he has been doing that ever since. Now, i also mentioned that he is also an attorney, and he specializes in bankruptcy and commercial transactions. So he basically knows how to negotiate on and off the field. And he was sharing with me that his coaching philosophy is, are we better today than we were yesterday? So, Joe, are you on the call? might not be here yet. Joe? Hi, I'm here. Oh, you are here. Hello, and welcome to Mama's Pearls. Can you hear me okay? Joe? We're oh, having a little technical difficulties. I hate that. I hear you. Joe? You hear yeah. me. Okay. All right. So you're back. Okay. Oh, okay. so, Welcome.
0: Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mamas Pearls. I'm very happy that you're joining us, joining us this week to really dive in a little further about talking about the importance of, of being a coach and, um, and the importance of really working as a team and having some experience on a team as a, um, as a player. So can you share a little bit more about your own personal background?
0: Uh, sure. I basically was a baseball player, played baseball my entire life, but uh, I was pretty much an avid athlete. I played football when I was young, I wrestled, I did karate, and uh, grew up on Long Island. First I grew up in Brooklyn until I was about 12, started playing organized sports uh, out in Massapequa, and then went on to attend high school at Chaminade High School, played baseball, football, and wrestled and then proceeded on to Fordham University. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a full athletic scholarship. Um, so I played baseball at Fordham for 4 years uh, for a Division 1 team. Uh had the opportunity to play in the ncaa Regionals. I uh, got a championship ring. Uh was one game away from the College World Series. Um so it's great experience and then from there uh after I had sh- uh, shoulder surgery, uh my baseball aspirations had come to a a halt, so continued my education, went to uh, law school locally at Hofstra uh, Law School, and then uh, shortly after that, uh, married my wonderful wife, Lisa, and um, started my legal career on Long Island, started to have children right away, and for me, it happened to be all girls.
1: yeah. (laughs) Right, of course.
0: Which is crazy because uh, all my friends, you know, that I grew up with, every time they learned that I have four girls, I I don't know what it is that they just kind of saw me as like Joe Athlete my whole life and figured I was going to have four boys.
1: Yeah, you wanted your own, you know, little softball team.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But I ended up with four wonderful daughters and kind of transformed me into – Changing from a baseball avid baseball player and coach to an avid softball coach, Uh, and I actually still play, so I play fast pitch softball, um, which gives me a good good ability to remain grounded, I believe, as a coach. Um, And I just, you know, dove into uh, into girls fast pitch softball.
1: Now, tell me also about the pitching clinic that you ran.
0: Yeah. um, When I had gone to college, uh, a couple of friends of mine, you know, some got drafted and then were released, saw a need on Long Island to run, uh, you know, pitching clinics and hitting clinics and fielding clinics uh, for a lot of these young athletes, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. So um, we just kind of advertised and word of mouth went around to the little leagues and we started to uh, run these clinics. Uh, which I did while I was in law school, and then then also did while I was a lawyer, on the weekends, which I completely loved. Um, so we would, you know, I would teach. Um, at the time, the, the clinics were for all boys. We would teach the boys how to pitch, and we would teach them how to hit and field. And one of the the, the key things I would tell the parents the first day of the pitching clinic. and and this really spread throughout Long Island Now, our clinic really got big, is I told the parents that your son will pitch blindfolded and throw a strike by the end of my clinic. And it was a blindfold drill we had learned in in college, basically, where we used to do blindfold drills every day, to teach a pitcher how not to aim and to really visualize and use your mechanics in order to throw a strike. And uh, it was amazing. It was a great experience and it was amazing to see these little boys after six or eight weeks and the parents would come and watch and I'd put the blindfold on them and they would throw a strike.
1: Right, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. So you did get a little bit of um, experience with boys through your... <laughs> yes, I did. ...through the pitching clinic and through and through coaching. Now, have you, have you coached um, mainly all girls' teams, or have you also coached boys' teams?
0: I, so I was coaching boys' teams in the beginning because I had my first daughter, figuring I'd have a couple of boys after that. So, <laughs> so I coached some little league teams, and then uh, one girl after another... <laughs> My, when my daughter was playing T ball, and then we kind of separated because T ball is really co ed. Um, you know, there's boys and girls on the team, you know, they're six years old. And then when she got eight years old, we went into softball. So I then wanted to be with my daughter. So I, that's really when I started to focus on uh, fast pitch softball.
1: Right, and and honestly, to me, there's nothing cuter than little league. <laughs> I think it's just the cutest, the cutest, fun thing ever. And I remember even being on the buses when we were on the softball team, and like passing, um, passing some fields and seeing the little little kids out there playing little league and just screaming, "Like I love little league! It's fun. that's great!
0: It's, it's yeah. the
1: cutest!" It is. But it, it's something as as a parent, like a lot of us will just do it because people are doing it, but really understanding that there is a developmental part of us that um, that gets awakened when we are engaged in team sports, which is probably, you know, aside from being in shape and dealing with childhood obesity, yada, 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 mm-hmm. is one of the fundamental reasons why physical education was incorporated into the educational curriculum, as it were. So um, I think it's really important to find... To find a sport that your children do like, you know, not everybody takes to everything. You know, don't please don't ask me to play volleyball or soccer. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, it's just not my thing. But um, but you know, in finding the, the sports that really, um, jive with the different kids, right? You know, I think well,
0: I think I think that's why so- soccer for the little kids. It, it you know, a lot of little kids play soccer because it's it's active and everything's going on. I think as a coach for eight- and nine- and ten-year-old girls playing softball, you really need to figure a way to keep it exciting because it can get boring when a girl just keeps throwing a ball because they're not developed yet and they can't put the ball in the strike zone.
1: Right. So which leads me to a very important um, part of this and part of learning how to play a game and um, developing your skills is is how to learn and still keep it interesting when you're not winning mm-hmm. or when you when you can't actually actually get there and you know you still have miles to go before you can really go out there and play the game and start doing a huge winning streak right. and that confidence building is so hard to I mean, it's just so hard to build confidence when you're not throwing strikes and you're striking out or you can't make a basket or you keep missing the soccer ball or, you know, just you know, how do you really manage the kids that you're coaching through that?
0: Well, I I think from my standpoint, every time I have a new team or a new season or a new group of girls, um, the first thing I do for at least 30 to 40 minutes is I really just sit and talk with them. And, and I talk to them before every practice and every game for at least five minutes. But my initial conversation is really about goals and really about what the girls are looking to get out of the sport, out of me, out of themselves, and out of the season. And I think by establishing that and, and, and really instilling in them what it is they want out of the season, routinely I find – that none of the girls on the top of their list, what they want at the end of the season is to win.
1: Right.
0: It's amazing. You will go through 12 girls, and you give them examples. Do you want to make friends during the season? Do you want to be a better softball player? Do you want to learn how to bunt? Do you want to learn how to pitch? Do you want to win every game, but you really don't care if you don't learn how to bunt? And you give them all of these different examples. Routinely, they say to me, I want to make friends. I want to be, learn how to be a pitcher. I want to learn how to hit. I want to learn how to be a shortstop. I want to get better at the game. Last year what I found is I had 11, a lot of 11-year-olds turning 12. One of the girls came out to me and said, Coach Joe, my goal for this season is to build my confidence. How can you teach me to be more confident? That was a, that was a challenge that was the first time that one hit me because that's not something you can easily put your finger on. I could teach you how to bunt. I could teach you how to hit. But she hit, she hit it right on the head. How do I build my own confidence? And I talked to her and she said, because I doubt myself too much. I get up to the plate and I think I'm going to fail instead of think I'm going to succeed. I think I'm going to make an error instead of trusting myself that I'm a good infielder And so long as I keep my glove down and I keep my my eyes on the ball, you know, I'll block it or I'll stay in front of it. So during that summer, last summer, did you know last summer my team probably, and I have a travel team, we lost 80% of the games. And at the end of the summer, we had a little party, and the parents said to me, my daughter had such a ball this summer, Joe. She's like she. I saw her develop from May to August. She really became a good ball player. Hey, I know we lost. Who cares? That's what they said to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who cares? We lost. It doesn't matter. They, she really enjoyed herself. She's so much more confident. She believes in herself. You know. So right. it, it was. It was an interesting year. And in I tell you, I really developed that last summer.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure also being somebody who's been in competitive play, that it's also like that was a summer where you really learned that it's not a matter of if you win or lose, but how you play the game. There's no doubt. And I'm sure you also have the added trick of, um, and I'm sure the the self-confidence is probably, you know, a rampant feeling among the girls that you coach as well as, um, you know, self-esteem. And, you know, one of the coaching philosophies that that I remember is, um, you know, when I would say, like, to my coach, I'm afraid to, like you said with your girl, like she was afraid that she was not going to hit it or she was going to make an error, that um, he would probably say it's not all about you, Lippmann, it's about the team. The team is going to be there to, to support, and you don't want to let the team down by, by messing up. Right. Um, and a lot of people that we, a lot of players, you know, you choke because of that. You know, you have your own um, ego invested in the game as well as the collective ego of your team, and you really want to do what's, what's best for your team. Right. So, so how would you work with these girls in terms of building um, their their self-confidence and kind of for themselves as well as the collective.
0: Well, I did, I did mental training techniques with them, and I would sit there and explain to them, because I, I, I'm a third-degree brown belt, and I, I'm a big believer in the martial arts, and I'm a big believer in visualization, and I'm a big believer in reducing the pressure that you're dealing with. So a couple things I used to do. Number one, I used to explain to them, and still currently do, to the girls on my team that if you can visualize yourself delivering a hit and visualize yourself fielding the grounder and you consistently do this in your mind, you absolutely will do it. And I would convince them of their own ability through visualization techniques that we did in practice. The second thing I would do to them is I would basically say to them, if they got up to the plate and they didn't succeed and they hit the ball, Instead of believing that they failed, I would show them that what they did during that at-bat, they did three things right and maybe one thing wrong. So your hands were good, they stayed back, you drove through, you had a good swing, but you were a little in front of the ball so you popped it up. So I try to focus on the things they did right during that particular at-bat or fielding instead of focusing on the things they did wrong, and then say to them, next time, let's try to get your hands through quicker.
1: Right. And I think that's key because nobody anywhere wants to just hear what they're doing wrong. Exactly. I was reading something um, about children, where they were saying when children are learning, it's more important to praise them on their effort than the end goal of whether they succeeded or not. And actually praising their, their effort for trying, actually the study was connected with their IQ score, scores, they actually scored higher in their IQ. So I would well, imagine it's the same thing on the field, that if you, praise, if you praise the effort, one, you'll get more out of them, um as as far as performance right
0: and and yeah i i took a course with the positive coaches alliance uh last year and it was it was very challenging and it said as a coach for every when you're looking at an athlete for whatever the athlete does you know wrong in that particular thing whether they're feeling or hitting and stuff figure out five positive things they did for every one negative thing they did in the, at that particular moment right So I would always challenge myself to do that, to try to think of five things that that player did right at the at-bat or pitching or fielding or hitting or running, as opposed to that one thing that they might have done wrong and make those five things the things that they're focusing on and the one thing is only something that they want to correct. Not that it was a bad thing. It's that next time I want to get my hands through quicker. Instead of I, sh- I did not get my hands through quicker. The negativity of the of the statement is next time I want to get my hands through quicker.
1: Right. You know,
0: and, and with these little kids, sometimes it's just it's the way you phrase the words.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and that that is true. Completely. I mean, I notice that, um, and I'm like that too. I notice it with myself as well as with my son. For me, it's not a matter of what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. Absolutely. There's a million different ways to get to get the message across, and I won't listen to anybody who who's screaming at me. I just tune it out. But if somebody's really taken the time to walk me through step by step like that, I will hear. Right. Now, what about the, um, the other coaching philosophies that are out there? And I'm sure that you've seen it like both on the parent side as well as the other coaching, the coaches that maybe um, put ego, their ego ahead of the team.
0: Right. Well, l- let me talk about the coach's side. One thing that I do is I still play this game. I play competitive fast-pitch softball. And people say, wow, you still play, you have four kids. And I say, you know what, playing keeps me grounded because on Sunday morning, I make an error. I will strike out. Who am I to then go from Monday to Saturday and yell at some girl for making an error? Okay. I'm still in there, in the grind, playing with them. And, and I see way too many coaches, you know, their checks and balance system is wrong. Their belief system in we must win the literally game I don't understand where they get it from. Um, you know, maybe it's their own ego that they need to feed. But I've approached a couple of coaches and I've said to them, "Tomorrow morning when you go to the office, you know, do you walk up and down the hallway and say you want a ten-year-old little league game? I mean, is that really what this is about? You know?" <laughs> and a couple of coaches have looked at me and said, um, "Yeah, no, I never thought of it that way." I'm like, "Well, it's not really about you. <laughs> it's about developing athletes and." You know, and and young, mature children.
1: Well, I think that the best coaches really do have the good of the team um, at heart, and that's one of the reasons why John Wooden was so beloved, because that was basically his whole connection was with the players and to to support the team, and he went went on to win, I think, um, at UCLA, like 10 different Ten different nCA tra- championships, yep. and throughout each time, it was really before the whole huge wave with college and um, and different coaches um, you know increase in pay raise, and he had the same pay the same pay for ten years. He never right. asked for a raise, he wasn't in it for for the glory he was really in it for the love of the game and of his players and when you have that camaraderie with with your coach you know that's when i really believe that that magic can happen and you know all too often i remember being in different visiting different schools and seeing different players and parents where it was just you know you were afraid if you didn't let them win for what was going to happen for those kids right um... you know it was all about the winning and being super competitive and rough play and dirty play And, you know, to me, that that was never part of my experience on on a team and, you know, and continues, you know, to this day.
0: But I think it goes to that first meeting as a coach. And, And, you know, I'm part of the Belmore Little League right now, and I've talked to a lot of coaches, and we're trying to do more coaches meetings. I think that first meeting with your players is extremely important, establishing your goals for the season. Right. because if the coach conveys to the athletes what it is that they want to get out of it, I will bet dollars to donuts, most of those athletes are not going to tell you all they want to do is win. I approach girls and I say to them, if you are 12-0 and 0 this year, you win every game, but at the end of the season, you never hang out with any of the girls on the team, you never really can call them for a play date, and you never really see me again as a coach. Do you think that was a successful season or not? I have never heard a girl, when I phrase it that way, tell me, oh, yeah, that's great. I wouldn't mind that. Most of them go, oh, no, I don't want to. No, I don't care if we go 12, or not you know.
1: Right.
0: Like, I want to make some friends. This is great. I have nice friends. And, you know, you know, so I think it starts right at that first meeting. And with the parents, I think it's the same thing. <laughs> I think it's extremely important for a coach to have a parents meeting in the beginning of the season.
1: I think, I think that's why, well, especially, I mean, do you recommend that for all ages or just for the younger players?
0: I would recommend it for all the ages. Every single time that I meet with my new team, whether it's a little league or a tournament or, or a travel team where it's a lot more serious, I meet with my parents, we establish our goals together, we talk about the season, and routinely I do not have problems with any of my parents. I love my parents on my travel team. They respect um, me, I respect them.
1: Right. I'm just picturing, like, the Yankees, like, bringing in, like, Derek Dieter's mom and having, like, like, a little sit-down about, you know, what the year is going to look like, what the expectations are, how we can support the team. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) But I tell you, we, we, we deal with things maturely as adults. I tell the parents... The the first time I did this, the parents looked at me. I said to the parents, I am telling your daughter. And when I meet with the girls, I make the parents listen. So I don't go do it privately somewhere. And I tell the parents, I'm going to tell your daughter not to listen to anything you say while the game is being played. And the (laughs) the fathers sometimes go, well, what do you mean? What if she's at the wrong base? I I said, that's my job to figure out. That's my job to convey to her. And if she hears you yelling and another parent yelling and me yelling, she's never gonna learn.
1: Right. And and this this is actually perfect because for one from my personal experience, like yeah, I remember um also having to keep my head in the game and, and getting into some some um or getting hearing some words from my coach about when my, when my dad was there about him coaching from the sidelines as well. Right. And, you know, you can't have more than one coach while you're actually on the field. <laughs> and at the same time, like, when my kids start going into sports, like, I guarantee you I'm going to be the loudest mom on the sidelines <laughs> and um, probably, like, heckling the other kids. <laughs> you know, like, like, how do you deal with, like, rowdy, rowdy parents?
0: Um, I think that you deal with them right in the beginning and you say to them, I think the more productive way is to be rah-rah, do a great job, cheer for your players and cheer for your team. And you talk to your son and daughter when you're in the car and you're having dinner later on and you say to them, hey, maybe you could have done this right or that right. You know, I tell them I'm not, I'm not saying you can't teach your child. You teach your child whatever you want. But when the child enters the field, right. it's your responsibility as a parent you basically said when you signed them up to Little League, I'm entrusting them to this coach during this eight-week period of time, and I will respect that coach and the teaching philosophies of that coach during the season. Right. And that's why I think it's important to, to talk about that right up front. Um, well, and
1: I also think, I mean, as you get older, when you're in Little League, you have a little bit more options, too, about which um, teams you sign your children up for. Exactly. When you get into the school systems, it's basically the, the school teams, unless you're doing stuff, um, stuff privately. Right, right. Well,
0: that becomes, right, a little bit more challenging, you know, because you're dealing with a coach that's, you know, part of the school, and you don't really have much of a choice.
1: Right. So, but what about the, the coaches that you get where, you know, if you're in the school system and it's, it is a bad coach, um, you know, I mean, like how do you, as a parent, like walk your child through that where they still want to be engaged, they don't want to miss a season of play, maybe the coach will be switched out next year. Um, how do you deal with it from, from that side?
0: I think that the player needs to understand what the player's responsibilities and role is during that season on the team. And, you know, me as a coach, I would, you know, teach my daughter off the field how to basically deal with those adversities. You meet, you must respect your coach. Even if the coach is screaming at you on the field, I don't think that any athlete should scream back at a coach. I think when you're off the field, you deal with those things maturely. Um, you know, screaming coaches, there's, you know, I think there's less and less of the screaming coaches that I've seen in in the softball arena and the baseball arena i in the soccer arena i think they're a little they're a little over the top um i see soccer coaches screaming on the sidelines and i don't understand the purpose of yelling 50 yards across at some girl that she's kicking a ball wrong maybe <laughs> yeah it's just
1: yeah that that would have been me getting ill because i told, i can't play soccer <laughs> I, can't, I- I don't like any sport where I can't like use my hands. it just doesn't i just i can't do it
0: yeah i'm I'm not really a soccer guy as well i'm you yeah. know one of my and daughters plays
1: up and down the field no not no head. i
0: you know they take a little ball and they run up and down the field and they kick it. there's really no plays and a one nothing mm-hmm. game is a great thing
1: right exactly I'm you know for way an way hour. For sure. My sister, who is totally famous for this on her contribution to her Little League team, I mean, my sister is, is not, was not, still is not into sports, and she would basically be out there while her friends were, like, running up and down the field as madmen, and she played defense, and she would <laughs> sit there, like, picking her nails, right. playing with her hair, And only if the ball came, like, right to her, like, did she kick if it, like, or she would just watch it, like, roll right by her. (laughs) Like, it just was not, you know, it was not. And,
0: you know, soccer has no season. It's basically 10 months out of the year. I've been learning this because I've been dealing with these soccer coaches with my 10-year-old. and. You know, they want them to practice three days a week, plus have a game. And my daughter comes up to me and says, you know, Dad, I like soccer, but I really also like when a season ends and I go to another sport.
1: Right. It's more of a full-time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you really love it, that's great. Because, you know, I, I mean, I love volleyball, and I would have loved to have played it. Um You know, throughout the year, also, but, but that season did end but if i didn't have that, then i wouldn 't have had a chance to try my hands in um softball so right. um, yeah
0: but yeah. i think when when it's when kids when kids are young nine ten eleven twelve thirteen years old. I would never gear them to play one sport and lose the opportunity to experience a lot of other sports. I, I really right. think that that's an injustice to the athlete. I think when they get into high school, maybe you want to tell them they need to kind of hone in on one or two sports if they're really serious about it. But when you're young, I mean, you know, play basketball, play volleyball, do karate, soccer, lacrosse, softball. You know, I mean, play a lot of different sports. You know, enjoy exactly. it. Right. Yeah, do, do track, track, right? Track. But the soccer coaches are, you know, they send these emails around. You must make a decision now at ten years old.
1: Right. <laughs> are you committed to soccer? Are
0: you committed have... to the team? Right. We want an <laughs> yeah. email written confirmation that you are going to practice three days a week and play one game, and we and your other sports are second and third.
1: Right. Right. That's that's a little much unless you have a yeah. you know a, a child prodigy like a Tiger Woods on your hands and. <laughs> right. Right. from from birth, then, yeah, you know, they want all that they can get. But, you know, the other thing that I liked about the diversity of playing different sports was you learn um, different skill techniques in each one, and the setup of the dynamics are different, like with your team structure and who's expecting what out of who.
0: Right. And
1: learning those roles and how to play almost every position really um, – really carries with me, like, through my life and through my even my legal career. Mm-hmm. And I find that that experience was truly invaluable. And, you know, when I was in softball, I played, um, you know, almost everything. I played short, I played third, I played left, I played, you know, as right. catcher, I was right when I played on my, my interleague with my um, company. I played short center. I mean, it's just there's different expectations and involvement at each position on on the field, and such is with life, your different positions and roles that you're taking on as life. So to have that different diversity and exposure and experience um, of different sports, of different of different teammates and players and um and also coaches you just you know consistently snowball your skill set
0: right i
1: know i agree and one of the things that um that i really find remarkable about doing the trans translation from what you learn through sports and, and carrying it on to your life was was um, basically encapsulized by John Wooden, who wrote a, you know, a bunch of books, I think, wrote, well, maybe like three books, but one of his books is called The Pyramid of Success and is really taking his coaching philosophies and integrating it into the, the business world, and after he was done coaching, which was in the 70s, he was flown around as basically a mo- motivational speaker and to come in and do different lectures. And, and talks with, um, with corporations basically on his philosophies. And, you know, what was it that makes him special? What was it that you do to, to lay the building blocks to success, which you're doing in business and you're also doing on, on the team? Um, one of the things that, that he said, which I quote in the blog this week, is um, it's the little details that are vital. The little things make big things happen. Now, that, that's different for everyone, but in your case, it might be with just one of your players who, who needs to keep, the, keep their eye on their ball when they, when they do their swing.
0: Well, I was watching the uh, College World Series last night for women's. It was UCLA against Arizona. And they were talking about John Wooden, uh, you know, former UCLA guy. And what the UCLA coach did this year was phenomenal, was precisely his quote. She used to give out pennies, pennies to the players for successful things that the players did during practicing and games. And, the, and she basically said, take care of all these little details, carry the water ba- bag, make sure the screens are put away, make sure you get your bunting in, make sure you do your running drills, the pitchers, make sure you do your throwing. And, they would, and she would go around the coaching staff and make sure to give pennies to the various athletes that made sure that they looked at the little details and look at them, that, you know, they're in the national championship game.
1: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, I think that um, like the really good coaches, they'll be able to help an individual advance. But right. the truly great coaches, they can do that as well as you know, bring everybody's level up a notch on an individual level as well as the team level and be just as invested in the outcome as the players. And that well, there's one thing we
0: have one thing yeah. we say in the, in the law. As a as a commercial litigator, we, I say to my young associates, know your judge, know your judge mm-hmm. in the case. And as a coach, mm-hmm. I think you need to know your players. Right. Every different athletes respond to different things in different ways. And I think a great coach, you know, like Wooden, knows his players and knows how to get them to the next level. He knows how to take a good player and make that player great.
1: Right. Right. And it's also the same as knowing your opponent.
0: Absolutely. You know, they they
1: study their their own game as much as um as their opponents, you know especially you know i am just remembering like with I think it was the Patriots where they're um <coughs> doing with the whole play game and learning like the plays of the other teams and there was like all this like brouhaha. but it is just important to study um to study your opposing team you know opposing yep teams. So, and then I think, you know, each one of us has so much potential in whatever it is we're doing, and there's a perfect quote by um, Thomas Fleming that says, actors yearn for the perfect director, athletes for the perfect coach, priests for the perfect pope, presidents for the perfect historian. That's great. And I think that when we do find those great teachers and those great mentors and the great coaches, you know, once you have it, you just know it. And there's a lot of reasons, like, you don't really know why, but there's something in you that just totally gets turned on and expanded, and I think we all look for those mentors and teachers in our lives. You know, I'm still looking for those teachers and, and mentors in my life, and in my career, and as a mom, and as a friend. And when you have it, and you know that it's golden, you know you can really make make magic happen and do leapfrogs of your own of your own um, development. Mm-hmm. Now, you were also telling me that you also see it as an advantage like when you're looking to hire people for your law firm. Yes. I, I, look for, I look for
0: athletes all the time. I, I Aside from the fact that I am an athlete, I believe that they learn discipline, dedication, commitment. They learn how to work as a team. As an attorney, when I need an associate on a particular file, we have a common goal to assist the client in a particular task. And that attorney, as a former athlete, knows how to deal with the responsibilities of what their role is in the case and doesn't mind working late, doesn't mind thinking as a team player. And um, I, I, I just think that athletes in any sport, you know, as an employer, when I look at them, um, I know that I'm going to get a committed, you know, dedicated, responsible um, associate. So I, I specifically look for that in resumes.
1: That's interesting. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not just fluff in in social hour to you.
0: It is not.
1: <laughs> no.
0: And uh, no. you know nothing against my non-athlete um, attorneys, uh, but I do favor. My uh, employees that have played a sport, they work differently in the environment that I am an employer with right,
1: and you know what, and it worked for me i think i was I was telling you. Um, an experience that I have in my first year of law school where it was the, the summer had started and usually when you're in law school you'll go for your summer associate positions and you'll start looking for those in January or as soon as possible right. I hadn't done any of that I was just really focused on getting through my, my first year of law school getting through finals and, um, and it was already after finals and I walked into the career services office and within five minutes that I was there the person who was um, manning the desk got a fax and basically said is anyone here interested in entertainment law and i was like yeah i am so i went on the went on the i got the interview i went in to meet um this attorney who was also an independent film producer and he was talking about how his um his his he and a couple of other people that he was friends with was on a volleyball league with Big City volleyball. And I that was like a huge opening for me in telling him how much I love volleyball, that I played my, my senior year, it was all division and I'm convinced that that got me the job and I wound up <laughs> working with him for, you know, all throughout law school for about three years. And so I mean, you never you never know, but it adds a whole other dimension to I believe to who you are. There's no doubt. And, you know, for me, it's, it's been just a totally invaluable experience having that background um, that background in, in sports. I mean, I, I don't know if I could go out and actually play. I don't think I've actually hit the ball over the net in a serve in volleyball in, like, I don't know, 10 years. But, um, you know, the knowledge is still there. I probably just need a whole bunch more. <laughs> what has been, like, your glory game if you have one game in particular that really stands out for you, either as a co- as coach or as a coach, either
0: as a as a coach, it was a week ago, my my really? twelve my twelve year old team, my twelve year old girls team that lost eighty percent of their games last year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it just clicked. Now this is they lost eighty percent of the game, but had a lot of fun. The girls hang out together all the time. They're very very loose. They're very calm. We played in the tournament. Uh, Memorial Day weekend with, uh, 12 other 12 U teams. And we wind up going six and out and we played a team in the final game, um, team from the Bronx called the diamond dolls. They were actually an independent team. So they're not even affiliated with little league. So we were really playing a very tough class of competition. And my girls went out there so calm and confident and deliberate and won the game five to one and at the end of the day when i did the little announcement and handed out all of the trophies i said to them our goal for this tournament was to be better every game that we played and i said today's game will be better than we were yesterday's game And they all looked at me and they knew our goal our goal was not to win the championship our goal was not to win that tournament our goal was to be better at every game during that tournament And Lo and behold, the last game they played was their best game.
1: That's awesome. It was great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, yeah. and kudos to you and congratulations to your team.
0: Kudos to them. It was it was, it was all them. I just sat back and raffled off some signs. <laughs> <laughs> you did much more
1: than that, I'm sure. And to end now, the game, it so was modest. a... So th- modest. I, I have the most modest gasp on the problem. <laughs>
0: I was just sitting there doing all my signs, and the other people, like, what is this guy doing? And just that's the way my girls and I communicate.
1: <laughs> I know the crazy signs really do crack me up, but yes. you know it's it's an essential part. We learn we learn through talking, through sign language on the field, and eventually, <laughs> eventually, like when it starts to click, you really learn to just read your your teammates and know what they're going to do. Right? You know, this whole other sixth sense develops as as a player. Um, yeah, I don't know where mine went. Mine probably <laughs> retreated back to the third sense right now. But it, you know, when you when you stick with it long enough, and you have a committed group of of teammates, that you you know that is the end goal, and that is when the true glory days um, come. Is when you get to that that mode and that zone, thing called playing in the zone. You're right. Um, yeah. You're right. Playing.
0: You, you, you hit it. Playing in the zone. What, I, I think playing in the zone is when a player plays without effort. Mm-hmm. It's effortless. They're out there enjoying the game, playing for the love of the game, and it's just natural.
1: Right. Well, this was amazing, and I want to close out with my um, with my I want to close out with my um, my usual come tell mama sex questions. And you know, this is a, these are the questions that I ask every single guest that's on. So consider yourself one of the lucky few. Okay. Um, but I want to ask you one additional question. So your first question is, what is your luxury indulgence? You do so much for the for the girls and your girls and your family, but what is your luxury indulgence?
0: Um, I have a boat. Nice. Yeah. So I go out on the boat. And uh, but, but I'll be honest with you, my luxury and indulgence is being on the field. That's my therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, you know, there's no place I'd rather be than with my daughters playing softball. But when I'm not playing softball, you know, I'll get on the boat with the family.
1: That's awesome. Okay, I know you just, I just met you, but please answer this following question. Don't be shy. Okay. Which of the following would you prefer? Or would you choose the best sex of your life, the best meal of your life, or the best sleep of your life? Sleep
0: with four kids, one being an infant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted. And my Uh, wife would
0: answer the same way as as my daughter was (laughs) up at 5.30 this morning. (laughs)
1: I know it really gets to a point where it's just pathetic. It's pathetic, but it's true. You just crave that sleep and that silence. I get it. Okay, what is your favorite movie genre? Romance, horror, action, sci-fi, period? probably
0: probably action. I'm a big. Uh, I like the karate movies and the action stuff.
1: Are you going to take your kids to see the new Karate Kid?
0: I was listening to the thing this morning, and I was like, i got to go, i got to go.
1: <laughs> and I want to ask you, what is your favorite sports-themed movie? Probably Broody. Yep. Oh, that's, that was mine. I posted that on, on Facebook. That's yeah. It's uh, all about playing with the heart.
0: There's no doubt. And I'll still cry till this day watching it.
1: Me too. Right. <laughs> you can't watch Rudy without bawling. <laughs> That's really funny. That's exactly what I wrote on Facebook this week. And <laughs> um, and then I was remembering my other favorite movie is actually Wildcats. Sure that. Oh my God. It's hilarious. It was in um in the I think 80s or yeah like late 80s and it's she goes into like this inner city really run down crappy school and you know she's trying to turn around the um the the football team there and it's just hilarious. Oh, I gotta check hilarious. that out. Yeah. The other
0: good one is the Tom the Tom Hanks one.
1: There's no crying in baseball. Oh my God, <laughs> um, league of their own. League of their own. That really is a good one, too, with mama yeah. and Rosie O'Donnell. Right. <laughs> what is your favorite food preference, sweet or salty? Sweet. And what do you consider your most beautiful feature? My eyes. Nice. And what is the best advice your mama gave you?
0: Don't say anything to someone you wouldn't want them to say to you.
1: Hmm. And what is the best advice that one of your coaches has given to you?
0: Probably when you enter the field, I had a college coach that said, when you cross these lines and enter the field, you must give it all on the field and give 100%. Don't leave it all, you know. Don't leave it in the dugout, Joe. Bring it. Bring it. When you enter the field, you know, don't leave it in the dugout.
1: Give it 110%,
0: <laughs>
1: but it's true. Well,
0: there was a lot. Uh, uh, I, I played with an athlete who used to throw 92 miles an hour in the bullpen and then get on the field and throw 83 miles an hour.
1: <laughs> right. So there,
0: there was a disconnect there.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, how much do you think is attributed to just the pressure? I mean, it's so much different when you're practicing versus, you know, in the game and with um, with fans around you and – you know, that that there is a lot of pressure there.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And, you know, the, not only is there a pressure, but it's like, you know, what you said before with the building the confidence where, you know, even if the game comes effort, effortless to you, there's still times when we all choke. Right. So how, do you, how do you coach, like, your girls, like, when they are in a slump or when they are choking? And you See, I don't,
0: I, don't, I don't teach my girls that they choked. I teach them that the other girl beat you this time.
1: Right, so you switch it around. But you, know, you, and, I, you and I know that they're choking yes. so, or that they're in a slump. And I've, I've, had, I've gone through my, my slumps too, but like, how do you get them, get them out of it?
0: The way I get my hitters out of a slump is I tell them to swing at the first pitch and stop thinking. Slumps are usually because you're thinking too much, you're overanalyzing the game. And sometimes when you analyze something, you paralyze yourself. So don't analyze to paralyze. So get up. The first pitch she throws, swing. Don't start thinking it through. And a lot of times a girl will swing, she'll deliver a key hit, and then all of a sudden her momentum in her mind, she thinks she got out of the (laughs) slump.
1: Right, 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 right. So a lot of it goes back to your martial arts and and mental training.
0: That's really what a lot – I'm very into the mental training and the mental aspect of the game. There's a great book called Peak Performance about it that I read when I was in college. And it 's the mental game of baseball, and you know and i that 's really a big part of my teaching philosophies they don 't realize what i 'm doing, mind you, but that 's part of my philosophy
1: well that 's part of paying attention to the little details so so you can really be effective right Well, thank you so much, Joe. This has been great fun to to chat with you here on mama 's pearls and um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and experience and philosophies with us today.
0: Well, thank you for the opportunity, and I'm always here for you anytime you want to talk.
1: Thank you so much, and okay. good luck with good luck with your coaching and with your girls. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you go for another, I'll be hoping. No, no,
0: <laughs> my, my wife will kill me. We're done. Four girls, all softball. I'm actually on my way to like my little four year olds moving up ceremony. <laughs> oh,
1: that's so cute. That's so cute. I love it. Yep. <laughs> well, enjoy and then Thanks. after you do that we'll get back to our we'll get back to our day, day jobs. And yep. I just wanted to remind everyone here who's listening on the Mama's Pearls community, you can catch our put. Put me in Coach Segment, at, and any of the archives here at Mama's Pearls at www.blogtalkradio.com/mamaspearls. The blog Mama's Pearls, as well as M Gems, can be found at www.mamaspearls.com. You could follow me on Twitter at sintweet. And you can also email me at any time with any questions or any messages that you want to pass along to Joe, which is Cynthia at mamaspearls.com. And this is Cynthia of Mama's Pearls, reminding you to enjoy your children, and your family. Say I love you, and remember when you step up to the plate, bring it all, and you're guaranteed to hit it out of the park. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful week. Thanks, bye-bye, again, Joe.